Hi, I'm Lynn Galadner, and you're listening to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm a former journalist and the author of nine books, a writing coach, and a marketing expert. In this show, I interview authors and people in publishing about how they find inspiration, how they build their brands and choose their publishing paths, and most of all, how they find meaning in the mundane. If you want to learn more about how to get your writing career off the ground, visit my website, lingaladner.com, and check out the classes, programs, and retreats that I offer. And if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or on any podcast platform where you find the Make Meaning Podcast. I hope these stories give you the courage and confidence to make your writing dreams come true. Thanks for listening. Suzanne Nugent is a best-selling author and award-winning screenwriter committed to exploring women's lives through poignant comedy. She was shortlisted for the Academy Nickel Fellowship in Screenwriting and has received accolades from the Denver Film Festival and the San Francisco Writers Conference. She holds a dual degree in journalism and film from UMass Amherst and studied screenwriting at UCLA. Suzanne's debut novel, Brunch and Other Obligations, received a Best Book Award from American Book Fest. She hosts a weekly podcast called Character Development, where innovators, authors, and artists talk about creative process and real-life character arcs. I'm thrilled to welcome Suzanne Nugent to the Make Meaning Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to see you. I know, me too. It's been a long time coming, and uh, thank you for your patience. But it was my honor to be a guest on your podcast, Character Development, and I love the clever title of it, of course. So I, I wanted to start with that. You know, so much of what we do as writers builds our own character, even as we build stories for other people's enjoyment. And I wonder how you've changed over the years of your creative career, which really spans genres and, and endeavors. You know, how has writing developed who you are and who you want to be? Oh, that's a good question. Oh my God. <laughs> See, now I have to unpack that. See, that makes me want to go <laughs> sit with my journal and write about that for a really long time and think and come up with a really good answer. Well, you know, that is very nice. Uh, you're a good journalist. Look at you oh, with these questions. <laughs> so there's a question being, how does it shape me? Well, I've heard versions of people saying before, so I'm not the originator of this notion in any way, but I write because I can't help it. Yeah. And I just write to figure figure things out. Actually, you just saw it in action. Immediately, yes. as soon as you asked me a question, I'm like, I really don't know. I have to sit down and write about that. I you know, that. I, it's really hard to unpack my thoughts until I've written them down. And I write a lot of imaginary emails that never go out. <laughs> oh, I would love to read those. That sounds <laughs> really interesting. <laughs> yeah. You know, but that's, but that's how I process things. Yeah. yeah. Same. Me too. Yeah. yeah. And have you seen your voice change over the course of your career, um, either voice or, or what you're obsessed with, like what you're writing about too, as, as you grow? It's kind of always the same. It's kind of always... I always say I write funny stories about sad things. Mm -hmm. It's always about looking at things like grief or mm -hmm. heartbreak mm -hmm. and and figuring out the way in through humor. I think the way people relate to each other is hilarious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's always about finding the connection among a group of people. Usually it's a group, maybe <sighs> almost always three, that have really nothing in common. And then they find a way in through yeah. something ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of always about, it ends up always being about forgiving quirks. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's true in real life too. Yeah. Well, you know, bravo to you for writing humor. I like to say I can be really funny, but just not on the page. So (laughs) I always admire people who can. I think that's such a skill. But I do love that description of your niche as writing funny stories about sad things. And I'm curious about how that became your focus and, and why it's important to find humor in our hardest moments. Well, I think it kind of developed through maybe through my culture and community. I grew up um, in an Irish Catholic home, and I think that's something that might be part of our culture growing up. Their people are hilarious at wakes. (laughs) They just are. The jokes are really good. Brokenhearted, of course, and really, really dark sadness, as you can kind of imagine. But (laughs) but uh, but there's there's a lot of humor and a way of coping. And I don't know. You know, there there seems to be I keep finding my way in sad situations. My first job after graduating from college with a journalism degree, was mm-hmm. writing obituaries. <laughs> I did that um, as an intern. Did you it's, really? Yeah, yeah, it's quite a lesson, isn't it? It, it is. It is. <laughs> and you, there's no room for humor in that situation, and no. it wouldn't no. be appropriate. But at the time, the editors at the newspaper I worked at, what they they would throw me a couple of stories to write, mm-hmm. and I would seek out little stories to write. And after a while, the editor said, you know, you you write like a talker. Hmm. And I'm not sure if he meant it as a compliment, but I decided <laughs> yep. it was. Yep. And he put me in the arts department and gave me a column right away. That's amazing. Which That's so it cool. really was. It was such a gift yeah. because what I ended up doing is unpacking, you know, daily life and finding either something profound about something hilarious or finding something funny about something sad. Yeah. And that it kind of started really early for me mm-hmm. in that way. So yeah. I don't know. And I forget the second half of your question. <laughs> yeah. I was just wondering why it's important to find humor in our hardest moments or why you think it is. I think if you didn't think things were funny, it would just be impossible to go on. You know, yeah. I just, this is, this is what we're, we're here to do is to kind of lift each other up in these dark times, you know, and in not these dark times, but in in the dark times we've had. In the last few years, I found it more necessary than ever to, to kind yeah. of find some levity, yes. um, some silliness. And and that's, I think, so healing. Yeah, it's like salvation. Yeah. It's like the saving grace is that we can laugh about something or, you know, lighten the moment. I think Jewish funerals could learn a thing or two from Catholic funerals <laughs> because they're not funny at all. And we're right. very, we take ourselves very seriously. So yeah. I, the, the Jews I know have a really hard time with death because it's like, oh, oh God, right. we're going in there now, you know, like. Yes. Um, so I think- well, yeah. I mean, we don't like it. No, no, <laughs> we don't no. like the death. No, yes. and I would say I don't know if it's all Catholics, but I know Irish, Irish, in in particular, we have wakes. Yeah, and I mean the there's not a lot of comedy. Although, yeah, I've ended up it's inappropriate laughter during the mass, but <laughs> the wake where you're just you know sitting around talking with a box of human remains in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, it is what else can you do? There yeah. is it's a it's an absurd moment. It's but absurd. It's real, you absurd. Know? There's yeah. a body in the room. What are we doing here? You know, <laughs> I don't know. I've always thought it was a little I mean you have to. Yeah. 
It's funny. I, you know, I spent a month this summer in Nova Scotia and we did, uh, when my husband and daughters were there with me for a part of it, we did a ghost tour of Lunenburg, which is the town near where we were staying. It's a, it's a really old town. It's from the 1750s and it's really very interesting. And the architecture really represented the industry and the times and all kinds of superstitions. And they, they told us about how in the backs of the houses, there were these like central windows that didn't seem like they should be on the back of a house. But the purpose was to, you know, take a body out when somebody had died. So oh, if they geez. wanted to do a wake, like or whatever, like there was no, they couldn't get out the door. So yeah. it's like, I'm like, oh, that's so fascinating. So yeah. there's a story it's there. It's nice to have that built in. Right? Yeah. Well, it's a part of Very life. Very practical. So. Yes. yes. Yeah. Let's just prepare for all things, you know? Yeah. So I want you to know, I I ordered your novel because I didn't, I knew that you were a screenwriter, but I didn't know that you had a novel out. I was so excited. So I can't wait to read it. So I want to hear about what inspired this novel and what was your journey to publishing? Oh, thank you for asking this question. So the the title, um, Brunch and Other Obligations, it popped into my head a long time ago before I even thought I would ever write a novel. I decided I early that that wasn't something I ever wanted to do. And I was, I used to live in San Francisco. And at the time, it was a very big brunch culture. We Every Sunday, that's, you know, you get together with your friends, you know, nobody had kids yet. So we were just, that's what we did on Sundays. Mm -hmm. And brunch is such an unnecessary meal. There's just no other reason to do it except for to have a good time and talk and catch up. Yeah, And I looked over while I was waiting for my friends and there were three women sitting together. They looked like they should be friends or could be friends. Mm-hmm. And they were stone face and they were just oh. eating their dinner, like uh, eating their brunch as if they were at a cafeteria, just didn't like mm. engage at all. And I just thought, what is the point of this <laughs> meal for these people? And I like look over and I just thought, this is an obligation for them. Yeah. And around the same time, because I had just moved there, a mutual friend had kind of set us, set me up on a blind friend date with mm-hmm. a group of of their friends. And and so my friend, my other friend and I went mm-hmm. and it was like we just didn't get along. You know, oh. we just didn't get along. And I couldn't understand how do we have the same best friend? Yeah. And so I always wondered what that dynamic is like because, you know your friends don't always get along. They And so, but you you kind of are stuck together through this mutual friendship. Yeah. And so the idea for brunch and other obligations came to me of like, what if you were forced to have brunch with, you know, your best friend's other best friend without that friend as the bridge? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So that dynamic kind of stuck with me. And then I thought that sounds like a novel, but I don't write novels. <laughs> so then- Years and years passed, and I was home with my son, who was a really young at the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, filmmaking, and you know, you can write a screenplay by yourself, but ultimately, the filmmaking is a collaborative process. There's a ton of people involved, yeah. And I just didn't have the bandwidth to be making things, yeah. uh, and yeah. and I love to make things, and I love to tell stories, and so. I thought this would be a good time. Why not when you have a little baby to make a novel, to write a novel? <laughs> right. Okay. That's crazy. <laughs> I decided to try it. And just little by little, I, I think I worked on it about between six and nine hours a week. That's wow. it. Okay. And so it took a long time, but around that time, I was thinking about it a lot and I thought, ah, maybe I won't do it. Maybe I will do it. 
And my friend Carrie, uh, hello, Carrie. I, I feel like she's definitely going to be listening. <laughs> We're going to tag Carrie. She's, we want to make right, sure Carrie Please hears do. It. Okay. So um, <laughs> yeah. at the time, she had read Big Magic, Elizabeth mm-hmm. Gilbert's Gilbert. book. And yeah. I wasn't reading anything because I had a little baby uh-huh. and I just couldn't. I, I just couldn't focus on on words, and she kind of paraphrased it for for me, which is what friends do when you have a new a new kid. And she told this like terrifying story. I think it sounds like a horror movie that Elizabeth Gilbert talks about, where if you have an idea and you don't bring it into the world, it will just find another vessel or find another writer. You've heard mm, this before. Yeah. Have you heard this before? I have not. That's so interesting. She, yeah, she talks about it that it's like. You know, it comes. An idea comes from wherever it comes from, and it's mm-hmm. nothing personal. It chose you, but it doesn't need to be through you. So if yeah. you don't do anything with it, it's okay. It'll just find another writer. Okay. That is a nightmare to me. Like <laughs> that's horrifying. Sure. So Carrie looked at me and said, "So I guess the question is, Suzanne, how would you feel if you walked into Barnes and Noble and brunch and other obligations was on the shelf, written by someone else?" Mm. And I was like, "That's." I would fall down on the floor and really have a lot of trouble getting back up. She just said, well, then you know what you need to do. And then the next day I hired a book coach and Mm -hmm. I I started writing it. Hmm. Wow. How long did it take you? It's hard to know because, I mean, my life at the time was so different than it is now. I wish I had an answer. I'm not good at that. I'm not good at uh, metrics, word counts and time. So then I'll pivot. It took a long time. (laughs) How did it get into the world? Like, what was your publishing path? Oh, wait, you know what? I want to tell you another thing about how, how I, how long it took. Yes. I don't recommend the way I, the process that I took because the first draft of it was written in first person and it was more of an exercise to find my voice as a novelist. Sure. And so I wrote it in in first person from the point of view of the friend who passed away. Mm-hmm. And it's a terrible thing because who is she talking to? Sure. Where is she? You know, <laughs> ask all these questions. So that draft was a big garbage draft that needed to go in the trash. Okay. And I had to start over again. So oh, that no. kind of adds a layer to how long did this take? Because I did have to start over having shown it to absolutely no one. I just right. knew this is not working oh. because I couldn't explain where she was and who she was talking to. Sure. So, but it got my voice in it. I understood better the the tone of of, yes. of how I wanted to tell it. So, so and then uh, it, I forgot your publishing the path. Question. My so, publishing path. Yes. Yeah. Because it had taken so long, I decided that I wanted to go through a hybrid publisher. Mm-hmm. I didn't go through the path of trying to find an agent and trying to go traditional. And I also knew I didn't want to learn how to self-publish. Yeah. So hybrid publishing was a good path for me because it had traditional distribution, which mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't want to learn. I wanted to write the mm-hmm. next story. And I also knew I just wanted to get it out. Yeah. Having tinkered with it for so many years, I was like, I'm done with them. Yeah. These ladies, they're yeah. lovely, but goodbye. They need to um, go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love this. I love that you did that. And, you know, I mean, I was on your podcast when I announced Scotia Road Books. And- I know. It was such a scoop. I know. I loved it. Thank you. That was, yeah, no, it was great. It was such a fun conversation. And I, I, I feel like every day that passes, I'm more validated by, by this. And I get so excited by all the different choices people have with publishing, you know, and that there's no easy path, but that it is a very unique and 
individual journey. And so yeah. I like that we have options. And I, I love that you had the confidence to say, this is what's best for me at this time. And that's really cool. So you start. I agree with you. I just want to say, I totally agree with you. And I do think we're very lucky to be in a time when there are so many options for getting your work out there. And it really, all of it depends on what vision you have for your career as a writer. And you, there really is no one best way to do Mm -hmm. it. And so I think these are the questions that authors all have to ask themselves, like what is my reason for publishing? And that kind of gets them to how they're going to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I love that. It's such a good point. I mean, because you have to have the long view. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's one thing if you want to write one book and just put it in the world and then be done and like, I'm not writing a book again. But if your career is to be a writer, then you have to see the whole picture and decide what's going to build your staying power. Really? That's true. Yes. And as a screenwriter too, it was important to me to retain the rights Mm -hmm. um, to my work because I I do see things as adaptation opportunities as well. Right. Absolutely. So So, my vision for it. So speaking of that, you know, you fiction, screenwriting, audio interviews, like, do you have a favorite storytelling path or do you just sort of straddle genres and whatever this particular story dictates? right now that's what i'm going to go with or you know talk to me about that well i think the type of story is kind of the it kind of dictates what what it's going to be mm-hmm. brunch and other obligations i knew from the beginning was a was a novel right and yeah i i i, I think that is it i think the yeah. story tells you the story yeah. tells you and that's what's fun to me is there are so many options and i I kind of get my journalism fix and my social fix <laughs> from mm-hmm. my podcast. I really my I follow my curiosity to do that. Sure. Um and I really love talking to people on the podcast and getting their ideas about about creativity and mm-hmm. their processes and how it affected them. And so that is the outlet for for that kind of following my curiosity as um, well my old journalism days. But, you know, filmmaking is really a big passion of mine and I there are some stories that can be told in two hours in the dark, <laughs> sitting yeah. in the dark watching it. Yeah. And I'm not really sure. Some of them just kind of, they come to me as pictures. Okay. And I think that might maybe tells me which one, you know, whether this is a novel or a, a screenplay. Yeah. So what are you working on now? Oh, Okay. So right now, I have a couple of projects that I'm still kind of, because we are just, I mean, by the time this airs, this won't be true anymore, but we're just coming out of the strike. So we are, you know, still kind of, there's some paperwork that needs to be done before I talk about it. So I love adapt. So I'll say this broadly. I love adapting existing properties into films. And so right well, right now I, I'm talking to a couple of novelists, one memoir memoirist and a short filmmaker, mm-hmm. a documentary filmmaker. So that is just kind of what I'm doing is trying to find which properties would would lend themselves to a narrative feature. Mm. So I'm working on that. Mm-hmm. I also do have a novel that is again probably going even more slowly than brunch and other obligations, but I love it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I keep having, I even have a sticky note here right now. I had an idea <laughs> or right before I, I logged on today. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, so it's just, you know, it's unfolding. And uh, I like having a lot of different projects to work on at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I and, love that. Yeah. And I just, I and I also love 
helping authors find a path to um, adaptation because that mm. is it's another way to see your your characters have new life. Even when we made the audio book of mm -hmm. Brunch and Other Obligations, to have a narrator or a voice actor do their their interpretation of these characters, I thought this is different. I actually, this is just yeah. a different thing. Yeah. And, and having that and producing that felt exciting. You know, yes. you just go, th this is going to keep going and reach a different audience. So yeah. I just, I just think it's so exciting to, to kind of keep your story going. Yeah. Once it's published, you know. Well, so we should talk about the film adaptation of Woman of Valor, my book yes. that just came out, because <laughs> Let's do it. that could be so fun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We do. I do want to talk to you about that. Yeah. Yes. All right. What do so, you see? Do you, oh. all right. Do you want to? So, no, this is going to, it's yeah. very tricky. I had to talk to myself before we got on here today to be like, remember that you're, this is not your podcast. You cannot ask questions, <laughs> but I can't help it because I want to ask you about your trip this summer. Like, I have, oh. it really, <laughs> It's, I'm I love it. Really, just holding myself back, but I want to ask about your trip. I want to ask about Scotia Road Publishing, yeah. and yeah. I want to talk about your adaptation. Yes. Okay. Go. So we have now. to just talk after <laughs> the episode for sure. Oh, I love it. it. I thought I was going to pivot this conversation <laughs> to you. I love. Thank doing you so that. much. I really appreciate that. But I want to highlight you, so that's why we're here today. But oh, you know, we'll have a nightmare. to be continued conversation yes. after this for sure. Okay. And, okay. and we have to add to that list audiobooks because I'm now yes. like sort of. It just sort of occurred to me at the Women's Fiction Writers Association conference. I was talking to people about it. You know. I want to put an audiobook out there. It was really weird. I was being interviewed by someone for a magazine about the book. And she's like, oh, I listened to the first three chapters of the audiobook. And I'm like, hold on, there is no audiobook. Like, what, what are you telling me? Like, did somebody... Of yours? My, yeah. Like, you somebody, hadn't even recorded? No. Yeah. So okay. I'm like, did somebody steal my obscure book? And like, just, you know, anyway, the, the journalist just made a mistake. And okay. I guess like... Okay read like some chapters from the PDF that um, she put into like, you know, Word and it could like read it was it like an you. AI voice or something. Right. Okay. And I'm like, I okay, hold on. You know, so like I was in overdrive <laughs> thinking like, what do I need to do? Do I need to call yeah. my attorney? Whatever. But um, <laughs> I know it's like, because I mean, I'm all yeah. I'm new at this. And so I do love the idea of the audiobook. I will say, and then we're going back to you, that on my drive home from Nova Scotia in the summer, um, which I did by myself, which was like a huge coup for me because it was like 22 hours or something. And it was like, I'd never done that by myself before, but I listened to two audiobooks and I, I never usually do. Like usually I'm listening mm -hmm. to podcasts or music or whatever. And both were one, well, they were memoirs and both were read by the author. Yes. And yeah. they both had lovely voices. Now, one of the authors was an actor. The other was not, mm -hmm. but still did a great job. And I think it, because it was a memoir, it really lent some, I guess, realism to the book mm -hmm. because it was the author reading it. And I know that normally it needs to be a voiceover actor or someone who has that presence and, and knows how to do it, but they did a great job. And so yeah. it got me thinking about, well, I do a podcast. Couldn't I yes, read my book? You Absolutely. Know? So, so that's the plan Absolutely. Right and I would say to you, because you do, you are very experienced on the mic mm -hmm. and you sound great. 
You absolutely can do this. Memoirs do lend themselves to it perfectly because you you can even skip a few words if you want and just be telling a story. You know, some comedians, when they do their own audiobook, it sounds like they are improvising because they're really kind of just generally using the words. If you followed along, it would not be word for word. They're just (laughs) talking. And so it does kind of feel very natural. I considered narrating my own audiobook Mm -hmm. as well, but I, because there were some characters that wouldn't be appropriate for me to do the voice for, I did. I decided not to. And okay. then I also just got way too into my own head about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just said, forget it. I'm not doing yeah. this. And it is, it is a very, it, it's a, it's a very specific skill, yes. but you, yeah. you have it. Yeah. Well, yeah. So we'll see. So that's on the list. It's on yeah. the list. So lots of things to do when you put a book in the world for sure. It's so, true. Um, it's yeah. true. So that's there, but it's not going to happen tomorrow, but maybe next month we'll see. So, you know. Okay, I'll um, check back on this. Yes, we will Circle keep back talking. On this. <laughs> so I want to ask, as our conversation nears its end, what advice you might offer for aspiring writers who are listening to this podcast? There are so many spostus, and I think you have to listen to zero spostus. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've been asked about that before writing before, and I also feel like there's a lot of parenting advice that's similar where people are like, what's your best advice on parenting? Mm -hmm. And what I say to new parents is the same thing I want to say to writers, which is when people give you their advice, they're often telling you what they didn't do yeah, or that they wish they had done. And that's mostly about sleep training. Yes. But, but so it also applies to writing. People yes. say, "Oh, do this, do that," or "I wish I had done that." The you know, they're they're telling you their regrets. Yeah. They're not really telling you what they actually did. So, I don't know and I don't even know that I would follow my own advice or I don't even know that I would do the same I don't know how to write a book. I've written yeah. a book, but I don't know how. And sure. every time I go to a new project, I go into it as a total beginner. Mm-hmm. And I think the the thing that trips everybody up always in life is the idea that you know you know what you're doing. Yeah. I so love that. This is great advice. Like, is it? Is this yeah. advice? I was trying to give the anti-advice. Like, don't listen to anyone's advice. Well, that's advice. I, advice. I love it. I think okay. it's really smart. So yeah. All right. We'll Perfect go with way that. to answer. Thank Perfect. you. All right. Yes. Well, I'm glad we had this talk. I <laughs> I don't know what I've said. <laughs> yes. Well, you're funny even on a podcast, but poignantly. So thank you. I appreciate oh, that. Thank you. Well, Suzanne Nugent, it's been so great having you on the Make Meaning podcast. This has been fun. It's always fun to talk to you. Yeah, same. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world. And please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more at makemeaning.org or lynngaladner.com.